Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Anand Patel. And I'm Naomi Sheldon. And we're your hosts of The Pleasure Podcast. I'm a doctor specialising in sexual function. And I'm a writer with an interest in the internet. We talk to guests to help us understand the relationship we have with our bodies when it comes to sex and intimacy. It's a whole new kind of sex education for your owl... Careful. ...pleasure. (laughs) Today we welcome award-winning actor and writer Charlotte Josephine onto The Pleasure Podcast... I'm delighted to introduce our listeners to Charlie. They are one of my personal heroes, having given me the strength and permission to write when I was just setting out and they were already on the way to prolific playwriting. They swept onto the theatre scene with solo show Bitch Boxer, which won the Soho Theatre Writers Award and is now being adapted for film. The host of plays which have followed received awards, huge praise and sell-out houses. They recently played a queer Mercutio for the RSC's Romeo and Juliet, a role which became significant for them both on and off stage. Charlie started to identify as non-binary two years ago after having felt they'd failed at womanhood the whole of their lives. They join us to talk about shedding the label of she and the therapy and self-interrogation that got them there. We discuss the rules that come with being assigned female at birth and how writing has helped them to be comfortable in their own skin. Charlie has been sober and in food recovery for years. They describe how sobriety has allowed them to enter a sexual revolution and what queer sex can teach us all about good sex, and it's a lot. We look at the ripple effect that bad and good sex can have in the wider world and why representation of queer people is so important. Thank you, Charlie, for your honest, present and playful words that will help so many other people in finding out who they are. I try and shed as many labels as possible. And I know that some people claiming a word or a phrase for themselves is really empowering. And I understand that and I get it, whether that's like a mental health diagnosis or like a physical thing or a sexuality thing or a gender thing or a class thing or whatever like I get how empowering it can be to like label yourself as something I feel really like gross about the labeling like I feel like I want to shed it as much as possible and me actually coming out as non-binary or gender non-conforming or as like a fluid human is the way that I like to describe it like I'm shedding the she so it's less about like claiming they they is like the closest thing for me but it's more about the absence of she rather than the new presence of they if that makes sense and the same as like being called a female playwright and like an actress and like all of that being called a woman I felt like I was failing at womanhood for years basically so it's felt really empowering and really freeing to let go of that and just be like oh yeah I'm just Charlie like I'm just a human and that's felt really freeing so to the outside world I think it looks like I've put on a new label but for me it's felt like a shedding of an old label that didn't fit if that makes any sense 
Yes, it's just it happened does. to come at a time when it's quite popular, which has been both frustrating and empowering. Yeah. So when you said frustrations, can you tell me what you mean? I think to the outside world, it looks like I've claimed this new label that's like quite popular because there's a few celebrities in the press and stuff that have come out as non-binary and like there's a bit more coverage for trans and non-binary people just in like the popular culture at the moment. So I think it's seen as a bit trendy. Of course it's not, like there's been gender non-conforming people since the dawn of time. It's just that the language has evolved and because of the internet it's become very popular. So I think the frustration for me is any time that I feel like someone is suggesting that I'm maybe jumping on a bandwagon a bit, that it's like a bit trendy or something. Whereas for me, it's been like a long process for the last two years of like gynotherapy and chatting with people about it and slowly letting it unfold. And, and, and that process has been really painful and scary and tiring, <laughs> really fucking tiring, but also like really beautiful and enriching and amazing. So the frustrations I think are like mainly a fear of maybe what I think other people think. It's always a fucker, isn't it, that? The fear of what we think other people think. What a waste of time. <laughs> you say that it was the last two years that you've been particularly sort of consciously going on this journey. Mm. But um, I remember before doing Bitch Boxer, something happened that sort of got you writing it, actually. I can't remember the exact story. Could you remind me? But it makes me connect to what you're saying about feeling like you're failing as a woman. Yeah. I feel like my writing is quite prophetic for me like my subconscious my creative mind knows way before I do like what the fuck is going on and like I can look back at my work now and go oh wow like I was asking questions about gender years ago and I didn't see it until I look back like so yeah bitch boxer I wrote that in response to I was working in a coffee shop and the guy next door in one of the office buildings he walked past me like lugging these big heavy boxes into the storeroom and made a joke about how it didn't look very ladylike or something and then it was the kind of comment that people said a lot back then but for some reason it really stuck that day and like my body is strong naturally I'm tall and I'm broad and I'm powerful I always have been strong and able to pick up fucking heavy boxes and put them in a store cupboard. And like that should have been celebrated. But because like I was assigned female at birth, there were a whole load of rules that come with that. I remember like when I was at school, I used to play football with a girls football team that I actually started because I wasn't allowed to play on the boys one. And I like rallied the girls together and we started a football team. And I remember we were really good. And then when we hit kind of 12, 13... If the boys walked past the pitch, the girls would suddenly pretend to be rubbish like, and do this wow. kind of girly performance for them. And I used to find it infuriating because we were really fucking good and I don't know why culturally they were picking up the messages that in order to be attractive to these boys, they needed to be suddenly rubbish at kicking a ball when actually they were really talented. It's such an odd thing. I guess it's the messaging that we're taught. So yeah, it grew from there really like wanting to explore my body physically and come to terms with it. Um, I mean, I'm in recovery for an eating disorder and I'm also a recovering alcoholic. So I've been sober for just over six years now and like sober in food recovery for just over five years. So there's been like a long battle with my body <laughs> and there's been a lot of times where I haven't been very comfortable in my own skin and writing has always been a helpful way of like unpicking some of those questions and then like when I wrote blush as well that was about like the 
the responsibility that comes with gender. Like, there were two male characters in that play and three female characters. And it was about sex and shame and online shaming and, and trying to just understand why, if you are assigned male at birth, you are given a whole load of rules about sex and about power that society tells you you're supposed to do and if you fail them how shaming that can feel publicly and then how that feeling of shame can spill out into acts of violence but talking about how your subconscious influenced your writing Mm. but your writing I I believe has also influenced your your body um like so after bitch boxing after researching that you then I mean am I right in thinking you're a semi-professional boxer or (laughs) am I allowed to say no no, I'm an amateur boxer (laughs) um a boxer is in boxing club in north London um but yeah I won a national title about two years ago yeah like life imitating art and art imitating life it all got mixed up together yeah, and my body what changed. What was that like for you? Um, finally being, I suppose, being able to be, you should describe your body as powerful and strong. What mm. was that like, not having to pretend that it's not? <laughs> Quite, yeah, like such a relief. I mean, it's a sport where you have to weigh yourself. So that was interesting for someone with an eating disorder um, to like have to tell my coach every week how much I'm weighing as we're like working up to a fight and then to have a kind of quite public weigh-in It really taught me that my self-worth is not in my body, that I live inside this body and it's very privileged in lots of ways. But like, uh, because I've got an eating disorder, I've been at war with it for quite a long time. And so like when that civil war was over, a big part of that was learning to box and going, oh, like uh, I can use these natural gifts that I have and I can own them and celebrate them and win shiny medals and have a sense of camaraderie with a team of other women and to express my masculinity in public and it's been massively empowering but yeah like straight after a fight I often have this weird girly shame thing that happens (laughs) and I have it actually also when I get off stage sometimes like when I was playing Mercutio last year I would have it then and it's like a reaction that I have to um having just let myself be seen I will suddenly revert to this 12-year-old girl and get really shy again and, and kind of, like, giggly and girly. And, and I'll, I'll be watching myself doing it, like, what the fuck? Like, I just nearly knocked someone out and now I'm, like, oh, like, being all, like, shut. And it's almost like I'm trying to counterbalance it somehow. Um, so I don't know, man. It's a process, in it? Like, my intention is to be my full, honest self. I want to, like, allow myself to be as feminine and masculine as I want to be that day like to be fluid and play with all the colours it sounds really honest and a lot of fun oh my god so fun when I have the days when I allow myself to do it I'm so happy but I have to be cautious of like my language around it like what is girly what is masculine what is like to just wear the clothes that I want to wear because of how they feel rather than what I think they look like and to uh, move through the world in a way that feels good rather than what I think other people think that looks like. When I'm concentrating more on how it feels rather than on how it looks, then I am my most joyful self, I think. And then I actually think other people see that and that's inspiring for them. Yeah, when I see someone being themselves, oh, it's just such a, like, spiritual thing. Do you know what I mean? Something deep inside of me is like, yes! Like, all of the layers of social conditioning have been shed just for a tiny moment. Yeah, I want more of that, please. I want that for everybody.
When you say that, it sounds really familiar. I talked about my therapist about sort of bringing two images into focus. There's the me I think I am and I genuinely believe myself to be. And then there's the sort of uh, external version of myself. And if you can actually bring them into focus, so it's one vision that feels yeah. such, those moments are so powerful and so transformative. Mm. You think this is actually what joyful is. It's not being ridiculously happy and you know, almost that sort of fake version of happy. It's actually being completely present and really um, inhabiting myself. And that's a process, isn't it? Some days are easier than others. Sometimes it's not safe, like to walk through this world presenting the way that I want to present all the time like and that's cool as well do you know what I mean like it depends like sometimes that honesty can be threatening for other people if they're not able to be honest with themselves do you know what I mean I recently about a month ago I had some street harassment from a guy that I think he was attracted to me but couldn't quite work it out um my hair is really short at the moment and I'm really enjoying wearing like more masculine clothes than I have done for a while and there's a swagger in my body that that releases that I'm like just strutting down the road doing my thing like yes like I'm fucking powerful human being cheeky and like having fun in life and that can be attractive but also I think it can be threatening for men and this guy was in a weird combination of shame and fear and sexual attraction and it came out as anger and he was quite hostile towards me and like I felt really sorry for him um, I was like, I don't know what is going on with you, but like, that's very complex over there. Like, and I was in a good place that day, so I was able to like shrug it off, and it hasn't stuck to me very much. But sometimes they really fucking do stick to you, and then when they do fucking stick to me, when someone makes a comment or something, I'm really grateful that I can then pour that into art because I can't carry that in my body. Like, I'll get really sick if I do. Do you know what I mean? So I'm. I feel super grateful that I get to write and act and that it can come out in a way that is an artistic expression. I think that's part of the reason why you're such an incredible writer. So your work, for me, has such a visceral impact. It is like being having a main line straight into someone's bloodstream. <laughs> it's you. so pa- It's very powerful and, like, cuts through any bull and hits you hard. I was, I was wondering whether... This seems to be quite a common story, actually, about men being angry when they get confused about their sexuality, especially mm. straight men on the street. But what sort of responses you've had from women, either that be uh, threatened or attracted to you? Yeah, it's coming up to maybe about two years ago. I first started dating women and non-binary people. And I see that as like a gift to sobriety. Like I was so disconnected from my body for years as a safety mechanism, really, like just disassociating from my body and you know I was just off my nut for years basically like on food and booze and drugs so like getting sober um it's been a really slow defrosting really where I've become less interested in what I think he thinks about me and whether I'm pleasing him and I'm suddenly listening to what I want and then I was like fuck I don't think I want to have sex with him at all like it was the biggest surprise to me, like, and not a surprise to anybody else. Like, I have presented like I'm gay, I think, forever. Just in my physicality and the gender non-conforming thing. And people do mix up, I think, gender and sexuality quite a lot. So from the tiniest age, from primary school, there was quite a lot of talk in my family of, like, is Charlie gay? Like, what's going on? Does Charlie want to be a boy? And there was quite a lot of negotiating about like school uniform, for example, like I refused to wear a skirt and they wouldn't let me wear shorts. And my mum got some culottes from Marks and Spencer's, bless her. (laughs) 
Um, Brilliant compromise. Yeah. So like, I don't know. I think I've just been blocked off from my body for years and, and so blocked off from my own desires. And now, like for the last two years, there's been this most beautiful blossoming that's happening for me. Like, honestly, like I'm... I feel like I'm having a sexual revolution. It is fucking incredible. Like, I'm, I, I can't believe how good sex is. Like, it's so amazing when I'm actually behaving from a place of, like, desire and honesty, you know? And, like, I think I've really learned... Oh, it's just been... Honestly, it's been amazing the last two years. Like, I, because I am not a woman, my body is female, but I'm not. And so I don't have to perform anything that there's a gorgeous fluidity that can happen because I am both the man and the woman and neither and something in between and I think like I'm I'm suddenly like oh my god now I know what my body is for like uh now I get why everyone's so excited about sex like I think the sex I was having before I don't know I mean I was drunk for years so but it was just very sad really I look back and I'm like I feel really sad for that little person that was desperately trying to, like, find connection with people, performing a version of sexuality that, I don't know, really, that I thought would, like, please him. And now I've learned, I think, that good sex is being honest and playful and present. And those three words are really hard to be. They require, like, so much courage and... A sense of like inner safety and well-being because like I can't be honest about what I want and don't want if I'm scared of how that's going to be received and I certainly can't be playful because it's all very serious and the stakes are very fucking high and I can't be present because I'm not in my body I'm in my head thinking about what that person thinks I look like and and so to like shed all of that it's taken me a long time and I'm I feel a bit embarrassed that maybe I'm behind everyone else but then I think well fuck it like I'm here now do you know what I mean and are you kidding me I mean that is people spend their whole lives trying to get to that point it's I hard it's it's quite, it's and I know scary. it's not a point it's, sex yeah. is really scary and we don't talk about it enough like I'm writing a play at the moment about sex education that's going to tour schools and um I'm really furious about the curriculum in this country you know, partly the the hangover from Section 28, but also just the lack of discussion about pleasure and consent. And, I mean, the levels of consent that are happening in queer sex is, like, phenomenal and should be included in everybody's, like, sexual education. Like, just the little check-ins that I've experienced in the last two years that have been not a one-time thing, like oh, she kissed me, so it's on. And I'm not even blaming men for that, really. It's just a lack of education. Like, if you look in every single film, like every fucking James Bond film, they just edit out the consent. Do you know what I mean? They kiss, and then it cuts to after they've had sex. And, like, consent is sexy, man. Like, when someone's... Like, the word yes is the most sexy thing that I've heard, like, repeatedly in the last, like, two years. Like... And to just be like, does this feel good? How are you today? Like, is this okay today? Like, you know, like, because I'm non-binary, do I want my boobs touched or not? Like, do I want penetration or not? Like, how's your mental health today? Like, are you present? Like, to just be really honest and and to have those little check-ins is... I'm like, fucking hell, why are... Why is it that there are more 
questions of consent and check-ins between two people that have got similar body parts than between a man and a woman who have got completely like you would think that there would be more questions between people that have got different anatomy but there seems to be less it's just that honestly like I feel angry about it and also like well really grateful that I've got an opportunity to fucking write a play about it because I can channel it into something creative but yeah I'm angry at the government man I don't know if it's like a Catholic guilt thing or what, but I just want everybody to be having amazing sex all the time and I want everybody to have access to the education that means that they can make their own personal educated choices. Do you know what I mean? Like, What have you felt has been the impact on good sex in your life? Oh, the impact of good sex on my life in the last two years has been phenomenal. Like, self-confidence has skyrocketed like I feel more comfortable in my own skin so much more accepting of this like messy fleshy sticky thing that I live inside I'm like oh cool like this is my body and oh I sweat and oh I pant and like to just have like an awareness of it I'm almost like in awe of it and what it can do and that has then changed the way that I perform on stage I think and the way that I write and the way that I am with my friends and my family and just out and about in the world like a deeper level of acceptance of myself as a human do you know what I mean I'm just happier as well (laughs) like the endorphins are mad that's lovely because I'm smiling more when I'm walking down the street do you know what I mean I don't know what the ripple effect of that is but it can only be a good thing um I feel like the ripple effect of people having bad sex or negative experiences with sex, the ripple effect of that surely is what is adding to acts of violence somewhere down the line. Do you know what I mean? I'm not saying, like, uh, one bad night means that you then go and get in a fight the next day, but I'm just meaning, like, it's just shame, isn't it, really? Like, the shame that we feel around sex... I'm angry about that because I think it's such an easy thing to solve, actually. It can be solved by a more honest conversation. And the hetero world has got a lot to learn from queer people. And I wish that sex education in this country just had a bit more honest conversation around the emotional impact of good sex and the spiritual impact of it. And, yeah, I just wish we could talk more honestly about it requires courage but I think you can be taught that at school you can be modelled that and I certainly wasn't well I think I was when I was at school I didn't learn to inquire I learned to learn I, I learned mm. to absorb information I got told what to believe I got told that these are the facts and these are how you'll remember them and this is how you should present them I think there's a difference between facts and truth actually <laughs> and like sometimes the facts are very black and white but there's a truth that is messier um yeah I just uh, like I just went through a breakup recently and um we loved each other but it was right to break up and they are two truths that existed they coincided and my emotional maturity has meant that over the last couple of years I've been able to hold two truths next to each other whereas like I used to be very black and white in my thinking and I'd be like well how is it possible that you could like need to break up with someone when you also love them it doesn't make any sense to me like and I think that critical thinking because I'm an artist I'm constantly trying to find when something is true and when it's a fact do you know what I mean like when there's a difference between what you want and what you need and like 
Um, I don't know if young people are being taught that. Maybe they are. Maybe the internet is helping them open up their mind a little bit to go, oh, you're telling me this, but there's also this information that's telling me that. Um, What was the sense you got from your interviews with them? I interviewed a load of young women for um, Flies, which is a piece that I wrote that's going to Shoreditch Town Hall, um, hopefully at the end of this year. And then I've interviewed a new load of young people for this sex education piece that I'm making with Theatre Centre. Both times I've been really astounded by the level of like intellectual maturity that the internet has obviously allowed them to gain access to, but mixed with their actual emotional immaturity. So like they're blushing and shy because they're 14 years old and we're talking about sex, but they have got the language of a 20-year-old because they've got access to, you know, hardcore porn and also like language from Google that I just didn't have at that age, do you know what I mean? If I didn't know what a blowjob was, I was desperately trying to piece together bits of information that I heard in the playground and pretending that I knew, and that was me as a, you know, 12, 13, 14-year-old. They've just got Google in their pocket, and so that definitely changes their understanding of the world, but they are still 14 years old emotionally, and that disconnect, there's something there that really struck me. But they seem really positive about their future, which I find really inspiring. I met some young people that were talking about being queer or trans or non-binary, it's just being open. Like, if you're straight and cis and you're closed, and if you're if you're anything else and you're open. And I was like, oh, wow, that's a fucking cool phrase. Like, and this girl was just going around a circle pointing and she was like, open, 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 closed, open, like pointing at her friends. And like, they're all just really like yeah I'm open and I was like fuck that's a label that I really enjoy actually (laughs) like I was like yeah I want to be open what were their main concerns their main fears or worries when it comes to relationships consent sex at the moment Uh, trying to look like people in porn videos worrying that they're not going to perform like that And then on a deeper level, like, the emotional connection, like, I remember this girl was saying, I don't know what I'm supposed to think when I'm having sex. It made me want to cry. It really got me. I was like, fuck, that is... That's a very out-of-body experience she's having then. Yeah, that I really relate to. Um, That was the kind of sex I was having for years where I was definitely not in my body. And I think partly that's also because we talk about sex is this like it's almost like an abstract separate thing like the biology I mean all I was taught was what heterosexual sex is in order to make a baby and if you don't want to get diseases and you don't want to get pregnant then don't have sex that was what I was taught a kind of abstinence program so the interior world of sex is not spoken about as well as the obvious things that are missed there like consent and LGBTQ issues and like just fucking conversation (laughs) like all of that stuff but yeah the interior world like I think young people are aware that they're not being taught that do you feel that since your sort of sex your sexual landscape has changed yes that that do do you do you feel that since that point or during that process there's kind of like a no going back when it comes to that disconnect oh yeah man mind body disconnection or do you ever find yourself going "Uh oh is that happening again no like I cannot fake an orgasm ever again I swear like I'm done doing that like I just (laughs) I, I just can't I just can't go back and I don't I mean never say never I can't imagine me having sex with a man ever again like I that may I want to remain open so like I don't know about that but 
now that I have experienced honest, playful and present sex, I don't ever want to go back to a dishonest performance that was born from fear. I want to like make decisions that are based in love, not in fear. And I want to celebrate my body and I want to celebrate the fact that I'm alive and I'm sober and I'm queer. And I want to do that with human beings that are also celebrating themselves. And of course, sometimes it's hard. Like sometimes, sometimes you're just fucking in your head and you're like, oh, sorry, babes, that I just can't like connect right now. And that's cool. Like that's still a win to be, to be honest about that. So that the other person, like they know that you're not present and they're worrying that it's them. Do you know what I mean? There's so much like fear and shame and power that isn't spoken about and just learning to be honest with someone and go, it's not you, I'm just in my head right now. Can we like stop and come back in a bit? Like just kills all of that potential harm that like is going on with two people spinning in their heads. Do you know what I mean? Yes. It's interesting though that you say that they know that you're not there. (laughs) Whereas like a lot of the heterosexual sexual experiences I've had have been the opposite where they haven't known that I'm not I'd argue that maybe they do but like it's too fucking scary for them to name it because they don't have the education either right because I've been like last year I got really angry at all of my ex-boyfriends in my head I was like how the fuck did you not know that I wasn't like why didn't you ask me like what how did you not know that when I said yes I actually meant no and and like there were so many blurry consent moments that I've had in my life like sober and drunk mainly drunk (laughs) but like and that blurry consent is actually I think what media it thrives on it bizarrely it's like um oh I don't want to kill the mood I think people think that consent is like not sexy but actually it is really fucking sexy and I think that in the heterosex that I had the blurriness of consent and him having to keep pushing until I eventually said yes was what we were taught in media and it's a really dangerous narrative and I think we're seeing the effects of that you know with the Me Too movement and I think we're finally going oh hang on like yes it's fun to have power play in sex if it's consensual and spoken about and there's a spoken agreement and check-ins and all of those like wonderful things that queer sex has taught me but without that, it is just abuse. <laughs> like, it is just a power abuse. And unfortunately, because we're not taught in sex education in schools how to have honest conversation, and then every fucking film and rap video and, like, all of the media is all about claiming women and, like, owning them and all of that sexual objectification. It's like a war of attrition, isn't it? Of not taking no for an answer ultimately and that that being taught yes absolutely in rom-coms even Mm. you know that the most romantic thing is to just keep trying in bigger more elaborate Mm. ways to get people's attention to declare what you want until you get what you Mm. want yeah and Um, I think like going back to what you were saying about the heterosex that you had where like the men didn't know that you weren't present I mean partly maybe they just weren't fucking reading the room who knows like but a lot of the times I look back and I go, oh my God, like maybe they did know and they just didn't have the language or the courage to ask me because it would have been a reflection. It would have been seen as a reflection on their masculinity or their 
sexuality or their power, right? So it's too fucking scary to ask whether I'm actually enjoying something. I kind of feel now, I feel a bit sorry for those chaps because I'm like, fucking hell, I wonder if they did know and I wonder what that did for their self-esteem as well. Do you know what I mean? I think patriarchy cages all of us. I don't think men are having a very nice time either. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. What does a representation mean for you? I don't think you can be something until you've seen it in advance. Like, you have to daydream, don't you? A future for yourself. And then you're, like, growing towards it. You need to have a vision for yourself. And it really helps to have examples and role models that you look to that help you build that vision for yourself as you're growing up. So when I was little, all my heroes were male protagonists in cartoons and films and books. I wanted to be the Artful Dodger and Peter Pan and... Huckleberry Finn and all of these like active fun characters that happen to be boys because of fucking patriarchy and there weren't many queer representations for me it's why I was so grateful to get the opportunity to play Makusha at the RSC because I was like I basically came out throughout that job it was like therapy on stage for me I started that job as a straight woman and I ended that job as a queer person. Like, I thought I was a girl that liked boys, and it turns out I'm a human that likes humans. And that evolution happened, like, over that 18-month job, really, with some therapy and some, like, outside help and lots of support from people. And But basically, like, playing a queer character on stage every day, I had the intention in my head of, like, I hope there's a little girl in the audience or a little queer kid in the audience that needs to see somebody like me on stage because there aren't many people like me that are represented in media and... And I really need to see it. I think it. I think what it does is like, if you're not telling my story, then it subconsciously tells me that my story doesn't matter, and that I don't matter. There must be something wrong with me. Like, there must be something dirty or shameful or broken about me because I'm not worthy of even one fucking Disney film. It's always a prince and a princess. And again, that is changing now. Thank God. I think representation is a buzzword, which is a really good thing that is in writers' rooms and artists' rooms. and So, yeah, I'm grateful that it's changing, but it's a bit slow for my impatient bones. Do you feel like coming out as non-binary 
I mean, you said it helps you as an actor. Uh, now that I am no longer pretending to be a woman, it allows me, when I am performing a female character, there's an ease with it because I'm not embarrassed about failing as a woman. Like, so I can really enjoy performing a femininity because I'm, I'm just playing. Do you know what I mean? Whereas before I was like, in the back of my head, I was like embarrassed that I'm not doing very good at this because people are judging my fem, like my femaleness. Like, yeah, to just be like the fucking gender binary, man, you can have it. <laughs> like, it's just so, it's such a mad thing to think that there's however many billion people on the planet and like, we're going to split them into two little groups. It's so crazy to me. So the freedom of shedding that has definitely allowed me like, like I really want to go and do some burlesque like and go and do like a real like uh I wish we had better words for it but like feminine in quotation marks like that real heightened performance I'd love to go and do some of that because it is so out of my comfort zone and I feel like I've got permission to do that now because I'm like yeah I'm a human doing that I'm not a failed woman doing that it's funny that you were talking about Shakespeare earlier that you yeah you you had your awakening ultimately during that process and yeah it, it reminds me of a Shakespeare play you know boys playing girls playing boys playing girls pretending to be girls pretending to be boys but I'll do, you know it, it, it does feel like there's some real sort of the universe having a specific joke really there Going yeah, like, this I'm, is this is where you're going to find all yeah. of this out. <laughs> I'm really, really grateful for the universe. Like, my friend calls it cosmic choreography, where it's like the universe oh, is like, lovely. oh, you guys need to play together. You, have, you need to have a little dance together for a while. And, like, the just as I was really... It was on the tip of my tongue that I fancied women and it was on the tip of my tongue that I didn't really identify as a woman. Just as I was daring myself to ask those questions... I got that part where I was forced to play with gender and sexuality on stage every night in front of however many hundreds of people. And also, like, in the press and stuff, the word queer kept coming up and it was like, oh, it's a queer character. Are you a queer performer? Like, And I was like, I don't know, like, what this word means. And, like, the word she suddenly felt like an insult. It made my body shudder every time I saw it written down. And not so much in spoken language. Like, pronouns are a funny thing. It really is about the intention of the moment. Like, my mum still calls me she, but she also really likes my new buzz cut. I think language is there to be played with, and I think whatever feels right in the moment. Like, my ex-girlfriend called me handsome, and, like, I was like, oh, yeah, like, I'm, I'm a handsome being. Like, but I'm also pretty... But sometimes that word feels like an insult and sometimes it feels empowering and that's okay. Like it, we're allowed to be complex and words are just fucking symbols anyway. But when I see it written down, when I see she written down in a press release or like a interview or a review, I don't read reviews, but like when it's somebody that doesn't know me that is judging my outsides, suddenly I'm like, nah, fuck that, like, fuck that it suddenly feels violent so that's why I had to come out I didn't have to but I wanted to come out on Twitter just before going to Edinburgh with Pops because I just I was like I can't spend a whole of August getting misgendered it's gonna make me ill so I just needed to do it then um and then when Pops was up which had been written the year before there's loads of stuff in there about gender and I was like Oh my gosh, like I knew way, I knew ages ago. Do you know what I mean? 
yeah, I mean, you must feel like that as well with your writing, to look at your work and go, oh, I didn't know I was feeling that, but now I've written it down, I definitely do. I absolutely feel that. I often have several projects sort of plates spinning at the same time and then suddenly realise that all of them at their core are wrestling with a specific thing Mm -hmm. (laughs) and that's something that I'm dealing with at the moment whatever that thing is that question that whatever it is that I'm trying to deal with and I think oh but they're such different genres or they're such different mediums how how is it that they're all about this actually at its core yeah it's impossible it feels like to disentangle what my urges are and what the, my core questions from my work mm. impossible yeah I feel like it's like our inner beings like bursting out of us like they know before we do like my creativity is just a little bit cleverer and a little bit braver than I am <laughs> it's got it's just got more courage and more insight and like I feel like I'm constantly catching up with it subconscious juice I call it like my subconscious juice like bubbles up and like it knew way before I did but also the absences. I'm increasingly aware of what I've chosen or at least subconsciously chosen to leave out mm. of stories. And then I go, oh, why is that person missing in this story? Mm. But even like structure and form, that changed a lot for me in my writing since like having queer sex because suddenly I'm less interested in that male arc like building up to a climax, like because I'm not having sex like that, so why should I be writing like that? Like, the rhythm of my sex has changed, so therefore the rhythm of my writing has changed. I'm not building up to one climax anymore. Uh, so how does that work? Is it more cyclical? Like, in what in what forms does that begin to take? I'm enjoying exploring a more cyclical, like a winding upness, like a spiralling up, rather than a sort of one mountain shape that it's kind of like we're spiraling around the mountain and that we're getting faster and faster as the loops get shorter building up to the top I think that's a female orgasm shape and so I'm enjoying exploring that I don't know I just think women are the best storytellers actually and I'm excited to hear more stories by women and by queer people because I think they're the way they see the world and the way they experience sex and conversation and life is different and therefore we're getting a bit braver at like not writing in a heteronormative way I don't know all to be continued there's lots of learning to go on but I'm just I'm slowly going oh why am I following the same pattern that I was taught like it's it's just questioning the why like daring myself to go do I really want this like do I really want to be writing in this shape do I really want to get married do I really want to wear these clothes do I really want this pronoun like that feeling that I have every time this happens maybe I should listen to that like maybe that's guiding me do you know what I mean and just being a bit braver do you come up against obstacles especially in the writing when it comes to form people saying no because that's not how you tell a story you have to tell it like this yeah yeah I'm dyslexic as well so like I'm dyslexic and I've got ADHD which is a really joyful like I'm I'm actually <laughs> grateful for it now but it has been a battle I've, I've only just recently gone do you know what maybe that's a fucking superpower like so my brain pings really fast I talk really quickly I'm bouncing around all over the place and the type of dyslexia I have means that I don't go in a linear pattern a b c I like jump all over the place so for years in my writing I have felt shame about not being neat 
and not following the pattern that other people want me to follow. And now I'm going, oh, do you know what? Maybe it's a superpower and maybe I can embrace it a bit more. But then still sometimes there's like a neatness that's required. And so I'm personally learning a balance between giving myself free reign and also at times making compromises. So maybe the protagonist is a surprising queer character that we've never heard before or a voice that we haven't heard but the structure itself is something that we are very familiar with and or maybe the structure is something new I think like getting the balance between offering something that feels comforting and safe because we know it and we can hang on to it I don't think there's any shame in that otherwise you're just being obscure for the sake of being obscure so like trying to get that balance right has been tricky and then getting feedback I mean, flies, like, throughout the process, this was, you know, I wrote it two years ago, um, so still identifying as a woman and still struggling with, like, what being a woman means for me and stuff. And the feedback that I was getting was definitely gendered. And I spoke to Rob Drummer about it, and it's now been kind of folded into the writing a little bit, the idea that if you are a woman that's a writer, the feedback that you might get is, oh, this is a bit angry. Or like, and it's like, yeah, it fucking is. I'm really fucking angry. <laughs> like, and if I was a man, would you say that? Or would you say, oh, this is a bit punchy or like powerful? Like the words that we use are different. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, that can be frustrating sometimes. But luckily, I don't often work with dickheads. I work with really kind humans. You know, most of the men that I work with are feminists and or queer and want to question. They want to better themselves, you know. I think most people do. Most people do want to better themselves in life and they want to be open and curious. It's just scary sometimes, isn't it, to ask those questions? And it's scary to be confronted when someone says, oh, you know, that was racist, what you just said, or that was homophobic, or that was offensive in this way. I think it's hard to not instantly be defensive. And I think culturally we're learning to take a breath and go, okay, maybe I can be teachable here. The theatre that I want to make is really focused on the body and, like, yes, about sex, but also about desire for things, that action and violence and understanding and connection and love and and that physical expression of self. Uh, So this is a little section from Flies that is going to be on at Shoreditch Town Hall, hopefully in September and October this year. I'm 14 years old, on the cusp of womanhood, and what I can see of what lies ahead I don't understand. Blinking, that male gaze spotlight so bright hurts your eyes, I can't have got this right, surely. So I take this moment, if that's okay, while I've got this space up here to put a little pause and all of that. You see, this is all new to me, so forgive me for asking such novice questions, but is this it now? Is this how it's going to be every day? Sorry, but I just want to check that I've got this crystal clear, what you're asking of me. So from now on, you're going to watch me, yeah? All the time. My skin's fucking crawling, constantly policing my own desirability because not enough gets me nothing and nowhere, but too much and I'm asking for it. So either way, I'm blamed for how you see me, is that right? Listen, I don't hate men and I'm not going to burn my bra. I don't even really like the word feminist. I just want to ask, is this it now? Because childhood was great. That was really fun. But now my body is developing faster than my mind and I'm not sure I've got the time to catch up with myself. I can't help thinking who I would be if I wasn't thinking about being seen. Surely there's a better use of my time. 
But now a huge chunk of my brain space is taken up with having to navigate you and your looking. I mean, how free would I be to think and move and make shapes and create? I'd have so much more space inside my brain if I didn't have to spend so much fucking time thinking about if how I'm being seen is safe for me. Because it's not a mere vanity, not a silly, girly complaint, but a desperate question of safety. Am I safe? Being seen like this under your gaze, under your shame, infects every decision, interrupts every thought, constantly checking myself, constantly on alert. I don't feel safe. I don't feel safe. I don't feel safe. How can you expect me to be the best version of me when I'm scared like this? I'm tired. I'm so tired. We're only at the beginning and already I'm... Because for women, desire is shamed. I am woman and I desire and so I am shamed. I'm 14 years old and already I'm fucking exhausted. Thank you for listening to The Pleasure Podcast. If you enjoy this, do share, review and subscribe on iTunes. It really does help other people find us and helps to give the series a boost. Please do give us five stars. Thank you to Acast for hosting us. Matt Peaver for editing us. Ollie Birch for the music. Gilad Vysotsky for the graphics. Join us next time when we interview another guest for their insights on the relationship we have to our bodies, sex, and of course, pleasure. pleasure. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.